What is up, people? We are <laughs> back. Yet another episode of the Talking TV podcast. I'm in a particularly shouty mood tonight. Hopefully that doesn't annoy too many of our audio listeners. But Chris, I'm excited because we got an actual good movie to talk about tonight. Yeah, man. I really enjoyed my time with this one. There's a yeah. lot to unpack here. So with that being said, uh, you know, all pleasantries aside, thank you guys so much yeah. for hanging. We obviously appreciate your support. This, of course, is the Talking TV podcast. We're chatting about Judas and the Black Messiah tonight. And Dom, before we jump into it all, I do want to say that this week was the most amount of attention that my friends have given this podcast because like you know i want our numbers to be true as possible i've been playing music my whole life been pestering people to buy a ticket listen to my song i'm done doing that if they want to support it's because they want to support but i want you to take a guess as to why this week there was one specific clip on instagram that got a lot of my friends to call me and text me and ask me what the hell happened on our show this week hold on it was oh it was the aj thing it was was the the aj AJ i feel so bad it was was absolutely Those those are the moments that you can only capture live. So, of course, that's not just going to get, like, all the regular movie-going people to tune in. That's going to get just, like, oh, no no offense to your friends, but, like, the regular schmucks to tune in to be like, oh, (laughs) that's a dumb internet thing. That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, AJ's the nicest guy, man. It sucks that it had to be him. It it sucks that it came at his expense, but, oh, that was priceless. That was priceless. If you guys who are just tuning into this episode have no idea what we're talking about, on this past week's WandaVision recap, we had AJ of AJ Reacts 2 on our channel and he had an unfortunate thing where his backdrop that he usually does this little green screen thing on kind of just fell backwards yeah. and he didn't even realize it and he, he fixed it but it, it was just again it's one of those priceless moments where you can only capture it live all in good fun he uh, handled it like a like a damn pro so oh yeah but all my oh, friends yeah. were just like particularly they were like yo i saw a clip from your podcast i was like oh i, I already knew but i wanted I, them to say it you know i wa- i was trying i was ma- i was sitting down on sunday <laughs> i was make i was doing my little sunday tradition and getting ready and making all the instagram clips of the week and I was on the WandaVision episode and I got the because I didn't realize it happened pretty early on in the episode. Right. But I, I, I was trying to resist. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm like, what do you fucking do? You have to do it. I'm like, this is going to get us more watches on Instagram than any <laughs> other clip that we put except for maybe the Staten Island, the King of Staten Island trailer, which I posted on my channel, on, on my Instagram channel last year. But yeah, no, we we, we had to and it was it, it was great. It, it yeah. was absolutely We'll make it up places. to AJ. He'll be back on the yeah, show Yeah, we'll make it up. He's, he's, he's coming back. He's AJ. He'll always be back. We got some but, people in the chat who keep coming of back. Of course, Luke, Luke man. happy to have you here. Always appreciate Appreciate you in the chat, brother, and love collaborating with you too, man. I can't wait for our first one of the year. You know it's going to come, so be patient, man. We got a lot of plans, a lot of things we're going to hit yes, up. Yes, we do. A lot of people. Yes, for, we do. So. Yeah, people, stay tuned. March. Uh, I've been noticing this with the podcast train. Obviously, once we kind of like got adjusted last year, I noticed obviously August, October, and December were our three biggest months of last year. Mm-hmm. So I was noticing definitely in every other type of month this year. This year has gotten off to like an interesting start because we haven't really had like an off month per se. At least I would say, but. March, March is going to be a big month, people. So if if you, for whatever reason, haven't been paying attention up until now, you're you're definitely want to gonna want to start to pay attention in March because we're 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 gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about once that happens. But uh, Chris, you want to jump into this movie? Yeah, um, we we definitely can. And and Luke says that his YouTube channel is being revived. I had to give that the quick about shout time. out. About time. About time, man. About time. Very excited for that. Very cool. Yeah, so Dom, take it away, man. Let's talk about some Judas and the Black Messiah, dude. Yeah, so we are talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, as Chris has stated. It is directed by Shaka King, who I thought was a first-time filmmaker, but he has actually had a couple of films that have come into the into Sundance. And before we actually get into the movie, I just wanted to talk about the inception and the origin of this movie, because it is a fascinating story, to say the least. Um, Shaka King actually was not originally supposed to be the director of this movie. It was supposed to be directed by F. Gary Gray, who famously directed Straight Outta Compton before moving right on, right on to... Um, the eighth Fast and Furious movie. F. Gary Gray's got a long career going all the way back to the mid-90s with Friday. Uh, He's directed such movies as Be Cool, Law Abiding Citizen, um, and a whole bunch of others that you guys will know of that I'm currently not remembering. The Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson. But... Um, what's interesting about this movie is that um, there had been a number of Fred Hampton biopics, like traditionalist Fred Hampton biopics in the works for the last couple of years. Fred Hampton obviously being the character that is portrayed by Daniel Kaluuya in this movie. And what's interesting is that Shaka King was originally approached by this comedy duo, actually. Um, I don't know if you're actually familiar uh, with these guys, uh, the Lucas Brothers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with these guys. They're in the sketch stand-up world. Shaka King was going to work with them on a, on, a, on, a, on a comedy show for FX back a couple years ago. Yeah, and doing my research for this, I, I stumbled across that too. I don't know about them. Apparently, they're kind of a big deal in that 
specific scene. So that's cool. Comedy yeah. writers extending their palette, showing they got more than just comedy in them. That's cool. Always, always love when I see it. And so they were the ones that originally conceived the idea. Um, what's it called? They, they basically, if I'm remembering this correctly, because I was literally just listening to a podcast on this, so so pardon me if I if I kind of screw up a few of my facts, but they brought up the idea, so so they were the ones that basically came up with the idea of the Bill O'Neill character, and having that be, him be the central focus character, and that, obviously, is what got Shaka's attention, and the two of them were sitting down, and then after a while, so this was all actually, ironically enough, put together by an actor friend of Shaka who actually appears in the film, that being Jermaine Fowler, and he was the one who put him in touch with the Lucas brothers, and then, so they, they Shaka actually told this really interesting story about how he woke up on New Year's Eve of 2016 say and called the Lucas Brothers and said, yeah, we, we got to make this movie. This is like, this, this is going to be like one of the movies to talk about. So, and I would say rightfully so at the risk of spoiling my thoughts on this movie going in. But after a little bit, they, they were conceiving of the script and coming up with the outline and writing it. And Jermaine Fowler, uh, Shaka's actor friend, contacted him and said that there was another, that, that he had just been contacted by another writer named Will Burson. Uh, who was working on more of a traditionalist Hampton script, but this one had much more of Hampton's backstory and kind of had more so J. Edgar Hoover as the direct antagonist. And so he brought him into the fold and they kind of ended up making it work. And then the final piece of the story that comes in is, I don't know if you noticed, did you notice a particular big, big name director's name on the producer title? I didn't. I did not, no. Okay. Well, that person's name would be Ryan Coogler of Creed and Black Panther fame. Oh, cool. And they were at a sit-down gathering because the two of them, uh, Shaka King and Ryan Coogler, made friends at Sundance uh, 2013, which is when Shaka entered his first film and Ryan Coogler was entering his first film, Fruitvale Station, which obviously got him all the attention and which would eventually lead him on to direct Creed. And they were talking and um, at, at like a, I think it was like a backyard barbecue or something, and Shaka brings up the idea that he's doing this movie and uh, Coogler and his wife, who was also his producing partner at the time, said... Oh wow! Uh, send us the script. We just we'd love to help out, you know, and just you know, not even as producers, just as friends. And so we send them the script. They love it, and they reach out to all their pro other production companies. I'm, I forgot the name of the one production company that was involved, but Bron that's how Braun got involved. And next thing you know, it happens. And obviously, everything that happened post this uh, with the coronavirus and everything. Um, but yeah, and that's how it happens. And that that's just the inception before we actually even get into the movie itself. But before. Before we do that, because I had some specific things that I wanted to get into, the movie itself, obviously, just for anybody who is unfamiliar, tells the story of the the events that led to the FBI's uh, and 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 the police's assassination of Black Panther Chicago Party leader Fred Hampton, portrayed in the movie by Daniel Kaluuya, and kind of the the a lesser known story that kind of led to that. Um, uh, what's it called? That 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 built into that with uh, this this character named Bill O'Neill who is portrayed in the film by Lakeith Stanfield of Atlanta and a bunch of other movies fame, who was arrested and kind of uh, what's called coerced into being an informant for the Black Panther Party by the FBI and eventually ended up supplanting them with information that would eventually lead to Hampton's assassination. But the crazy thing is that that is just the premise that seems like the tip of the iceberg. And just based on that premise alone, it makes this movie sound like one of the most generic sounding biopics ever. Right? <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, th th this is going to be this. And oh man, this movie is so much more. This movie is, I, I had this written down because I heard this in a couple of, in, in that same podcast that I was listening to. And it, it, this could not be a more accurate description for this movie if I tried, which is that this is The Departed wrapped up inside of Pro, which was the name of director J. Edgar Hoover's, um, uh, what's it called, program that he had in place in order to kind of um, disseminate uh, activists at the time who he perceived as being a threat. Um, so that's that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just kind of what initially I would use to describe this movie just in order because it's so different to me from so many other of like terms that I would even coin. Like I, I've, I even find a hard time kind of coining this as a biopic. But Chris, before we actually dive into your thoughts on the movie, I want you to walk me through. So how aware were you of this movie before? Obviously, again, we saw it on the list of the big HBO Max dump that was announced in November um, and kind of. But regardless of even if you had heard of this movie, like, again, hearing this movie, like, it screams, it's all the different, like, Oscar types, like, Oscar biopic, um, what's it called, based, based off of uh, recent history, based off of recent history, like, like, walk me through your thoughts, kind of, going into this movie. Yeah, um, to be honest, um, not that I'm not for, like, giving other people, like, Kim Convenience is one of my favorite shows in the world, and it gives Korean people a voice, finally, but there's just been so many of these films that... I feel are disingenuous with their message and and um, kind of put anger on the other side of the coin. 
and I don't like any of that. Like I'm a very peaceful guy. So I was hoping that this wouldn't be something that was really for the sake of sitting me down and, and like, just like kind of being like, all right, well, you need to hear this because you know, you're the future and it's up to you to make a change. Like, I think I'm a good person and I know what I need to do to be a good person. You know, I'm kind of sick of that from Hollywood being told what to think and what to say and how to feel. I know there's bad yeah, stuff ho- in the ho- world. Hollywood so. is anything if not condescending. Exactly. So I think that's what I was hoping this wasn't and everything that I was hoping came true because it was just a genuinely great human story, which I think the key word there, human, you know, like this could have focused on so many different political things and targeted so many hypersensitive aspects of our society, but it actually told what I thought was a very true and just genuine story and was very amazing in regards to, I thought, how well it paid respect to the period and to the time. And and it still obviously shined like the black struggle in Chicago and gave that some light, which I honestly knew nothing about really the black Panthers in Chicago and found it really interesting. And I thought it was just like the way to do this type of film. It was classy. You know, it was before we get down and break down the nuance of it. It wasn't, it didn't provoke any anger. It didn't make the situation worse because I think these movies and the reason I say this, like pop culture really affects the way we think, especially with social media. So, you know, I just think anger on any side of the coin, we already have too much of it. And I was really glad that this film was just an honest to God, very nice story. Of course, it didn't end so nice. It was pretty sad, but we'll get there. But it was like really well done in being just a people story. And I really appreciated it for that. Yeah, I think I love how you use the word nice to describe this. I, I would literally use any other word other than that word to describe just kind of the, the atrocities that occur within the story well, of this movie. Yeah, in the sense that it like didn't give you any message that wasn't already from the time period. You know, it was like an honest portrayal instead of nice. Let's swap that out with honest. It was very honest yes. in regards to the Fred Hampton story and the Bill, o- Bill O'Neill or what was it? Bill O'Neill. Bill O'Neill story. So that's what I got from yeah. it. That's my first initial like impression, and I will unpack it now and sort of dive in yeah. more. So, so going into this movie again, I, I really, really like the trailer. I will, I will say that the the trailer for this was one of the more impressive trailers that I saw just in recent memory. Because again, I've just I've such a long, 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 long memory going back. You know, even as recently as five years, which again is a long time in internet years. In internet time, five years is like a whole decade. So I just wanted to make that clear of just bad trailers and repetitive trailers. I was like, I would literally even, I was even starting to play a game with myself with, with all the trailers that I used to see in theaters of like, okay, I'm going to see if I can just see this thing in this trailer and then followed up by this thing in this trailer and this thing. And I was literally playing a game just based off like the opening shot. And I would almost always win. And that was just a little game that I played with myself. But the trailer I really, really enjoyed. And going in, I found it ironic considering that, you know, just again, like this is ironically enough, the actually second movie within only a couple months that we've seen the character of Fred Hampton because Fred Hampton was also portrayed in recently The Trial of the Chicago 7 by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, in that movie. And so this movie obviously just, you know, kind of made me look back on that movie a little bit confused, but only because I don't, because some of the timeline stuff of how that happened in that movie versus how it happened in this movie was a little bit off, but I'm like, okay, so right, that's the thing. But real quick, just because that's kind of what I was also trying to get at in my opening sentiment. Right. There was no revisionist history in this in this film. Nope. I went, I looked it up, I read some articles, I looked up some articles on New York Times about like a look back on this era. Like I'm sick of all these films just embellishing when this is such sensitive material. That was my, my I think my original sentiment I really wanted to say with that. This was right. a very true Which, that's what I meant by true and, and like honest portrayal. And, I, and, that, yeah. and then now I can't really respect Trial of Chicago 7 as much, which you guys already know I have my issues with it, yeah. because I just think that this is just too sensitive of material to just play around with. Yeah, I, I will definitely be the first person who made this movie definitely makes me kind of not reconsider because I, I, I think the Chicago 7 sentiments that I have are mostly based towards Sorkin and his talent as a creator rather than the actual historical kind of adherence to fact in that movie, because I think it's safe to and say that if Sorkin you go in that movie, will be historical fact. Sorkin will be Sorkin is going to Sorkin. And it's Sorkin, hard to fault him for that because he's so great. But yeah, but I wanted to point out the one word that you brought up, which is human. Which is, I think, to me, the biggest thing for me that I got out of this movie because I went in and already the opening scene. I'm like, okay, I, I was starting to grow on already. I'm like, yep. Just I'm like he's the latest spike impersonator with the putting in. Uh, I'm like, hey, if there's one way in order to sell a biopic, you put the footage of the real life events in the beginning, and then the other cool thing that Snowden started, which was putting the actor in place of the real person and then swapping them out for the real person at the end. And I was, oh no! But 
I think the thing to me that stands out immediately about this film is just how Shaka is able to take, again, another very political, very still prevalent movie that is once again doing that thing of showing, again, just, oh, this was 50, 60 years ago, but it's still just as relevant now, and really taking that, and rather than making it kind of a message movie, for lack of a better word, he really is breaking it down and making it about the characters, because for this movie to be as internal as it was, Given the circumstances of what this movie was about and how this movie is relating to just the current political climate is, it's a feat, to say the least. And I want to give Shaka all the credit in the world because, again, I, I think that he, as, as, as not really a first-time filmmaker, because, again, he's done that, he's done the Sundance route, he's done a couple of short films and TV things, but for this to be really his first big-budget thing that he does and to, have it, and to have him not fall victim to the Marvel trap and to have him now, like, this isn't like another like small indie movie with like one or two. This is a big name movie with a big name cast that is going for all the Oscar marbles. Like, they, like, they, like this is it. This is about a. This to me is like, like the last of like these types of movies that just don't get made anymore because these types of movies always go directly to streaming. Obviously, again, just the coronavirus circumstances, with notwithstanding. But this was movie was going to open in theaters pre the pandemic fit. So that was just refreshing in and of itself. But yeah, and. The other th oh sorry no, no I just no, wanted to say um the parallels from back then to today I think at this point one thing good that Hollywood's done is made us aware of like hey younger generation aka myself if you didn't really get this from your school book textbook about the history well here it is and what are you going to do to make it better and so that's why I get frustrated when you have films like Trial of the Chicago 7 that play around with that you know I just don't think there's a time and place and I think art can be tasteful and tasteless and this was a great example of it being tasteful. So. Yes. Now, that actually brings me into kind of my next question, per se, which is, obviously, this movie, it seems, is going to be going for a lot of Oscars, to say the least. A lot. Yeah. And, oh, man, I, I didn't want to rip this Band-Aid off too quickly because... Um, What's it called? I, I, but again, we we are obviously in the midst of award season, even if the majority of our community, um, you know, seems to still not be aware of it. And it's a real sad state of affairs because from everything that I'm seeing, it's looking like trial is shaping up for a big Oscar gambit and a lot of Oscar wins. And I think probably the most insulting again, Kaluuya is being run for supporting, and rightfully so yeah. because again, he is he's a revelation in the, a revelation in this movie. Yeah. And I, I will get to him in a bit in just the performances in this movie. For sure. Like, like I, I've been a fan of him since Black Mirror and then Get Out made him the superstar that he is. But this, oh man, I'm I'm going to get to Kaluuya. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to hype him up because, oh man. Oh, I, I'm but, with you Oh on my that. God. I don't know what's going to be a bigger slap in the face on Oscar night when Trial wins Best Picture or when Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial beats Daniel Kaluuya for this movie. I don't know that, what's going to be a me, bigger slap I mean, in the face, but I'm I'm really dreading it. I'm really, really fucking... And I liked Trial. Like, Trial is still a top 10 movie of last year for me, but that is straight up insulting. I will be the first person to say if that. If that does happen, that would be Hollywood saying, hey, these have always been our true colors. You just got blindsided by this for a little while. Yeah. To be honest, to it me. It has to, because, because of course, so. the year following a Parasite, the first foreign language film that ever wins... The best picture race, they have to go right back to their roots. It's it's Green Book all over again. Hmm. And uh, I hope that doesn't just, happen, man. Let's be hopeful. Let's I be hope hopeful. it doesn't. I really hope. But because this but film it, was it, so look, good, it just damn well might change that negative thought. I yeah. know a lot of people probably have that sentiment too. I'm being hopeful in regards to that. So. so that's actually something that I wanted to dive into, kind of. Which you you keep bringing up these positive words like hopeful and, and, and nice, and I actually I really I really more so just wanted to like fi figure that out because, like I said, this is we have like no conversations pre this movie. Like we we always have. I know that we obviously always want to save our thoughts for the podcast, but we usually like have like a one or two sentence dialogue, maybe just to give us maybe like a hint of our initial thoughts. And sometimes you do that thing where you deliberately mislead me into just so you could like have the have the shock moment. You do that. You do do that. So, but, but what I wanted to go into is, I think the biggest takeaway for me from this movie, for me particularly, is that kind of really cynical and really sad, but 
You, but, but you, would you say that this movie like kind of inspires you for hope? So, like, kind of walk me through your thought process there. Is that just like the filmmaking, or is that just like kind of like what this movie is trying to say? Uh, so, I think it kind of comes from Lost in the Reels point here. You know, there's a lot of conversation around message movies these days, and I think there are a lot of messages that need to be said. But where we saw with Trial of the Chicago Seven, or I think the message got stepped on by the romantic romantic romanticization. Sorry, been a long day. Um, you know, I think there's also like someone needs to look at it and say, hey, our, was our good intention? Because I do think it was a good intention to give light to that story and give light to that part of history that, again, our school books did not teach us about any of this stuff, That whether it's Trial Chicago 7 or Black Messiah. We didn't learn about any of this. But sometimes I just think the the, the want to make art when you're in this space sometimes trumps the the meaning that you want to get across and it comes out in poor taste. So this movie made me feel hopeful because it was still a amazing film. Like it's my number one film of the year. Granted, I've only seen three, but it's already a film. I know that's going to be, I can already tell you you're not missing much there. I've seen six and this is the only one I'd recommend to anyone. And and it's already, yeah. And it's already a film that I think is going to be hard pressed to beat for that number one spot. Same as invisible man was right up there for a long time last year. So when I say hopeful, I think it's like, this is the way to sort of let people know, Hey, things haven't gotten better, but we're not going to embellish on anything because it was already bad enough. You know what I mean? And so that's like, I'm not happy that it was bad enough, but I, I am happy that these, these creators chose to give you the honest to God facts. Like they, they pretty much gave it to us straight that like slang expression, like just give it to me straight. And I feel like you never get that from Hollywood, but yeah, lately I feel like you've been getting get some that of that. Hollywood. So like, that's why like there's like this extra sect of creators who are just kind of like doing something different in this message movie space. And, taking away that negative sting of the mess. Like, you know, so that's why, because this film was so honest and human that like, yes, I'm all for this. Give me more films like this of so many different types of voices and things I've never heard because it's, I'm just really glad. I mean, do you know what I'm I'm, trying to say? Yeah. I'm just really glad that this movie didn't end with a standing ovation that quite literally felt like the equivalent of that just made my point in case right there. We're we're applauding ourselves because we're so righteous and look at how look at how just we are and pointing out these relevant issues. It's it's like breaking their arm, patting themselves on the back. (laughs) Exactly. Great movie moment. But I think it really steps on everything you were trying to say before that you know so i can't say anything more without diluting my point at this point but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah so let's talk about the characters because the other two big things that i wanted to tackle really are the characters obviously in the respective performances that go into making and fleshing out those characters (laughs) and the sub and the subversive biopic um kind of topic because i think this falls into like a weird subgenre that i've been noticing lately which is the idea of the subversive biopic which might have actually been around for a while and i actually kind of wanted to break down some of your thoughts that you had towards certain biopics but the characters. Oh man. So first off, just the idea to not have this be the Fred Hampton movie. Like Fred Hampton is a character in this movie, but Fred Hampton is not the main character of this movie. And it's funny because even though they have like roughly the equivalent of amount of screen time, I think they said that like o- O'Neill has around 49 minutes and and uh Kaluuya's Hampton has 46 minutes. So it's like right neck and neck as far as this being like between the beat. Like I said, if not for a few select sequences and how they utilize Hampton in the movie, Kaluuya and Stanfield are battling out, battling it out in the lead actor category. But because of how he is utilized and how the story goes, Hampton is not the main character. And I think that's an ingenious decision, especially when you consider the type of character that O'Neill is. Because Bill O'Neill... First of all, again, just beside the fact of, well, obviously, if, if you think, if I had only heard of Fred Hampton last year with Trial of the Chicago 7, then you'd, you'd be damn well sure I've never heard of Bill O'Neill. And how Bill O'Neill ultimately is kind of this not really political figure, doesn't really have a stance, is completely self-motivated as far as like, yeah, I'm literally only out for me. And then ultimately kind of how his, not inaction, but lack of stance, for lack of a better word, kind of ultimately ended up toppling what was turning out to be, I would say, a pretty positive thing. Because obviously, again, the Black Panthers, again, they, they had their fair share of dirt, obviously, but at least for how they were portrayed in this movie, it seemed like, again, Fred Hampton's goal was spreading resistance through 
education and information and building hospitals and, you know, opening youth centers and just get, uh, finding ways to give back to the community in any way, shape, or form. But because he became this such a well-known figure, that put him directly on J. Edgar Hoover's shit list, mm. which I'll get to him in a minute because I have some thoughts on him, the real-life person. But, um, and and so the, the idea of having Hampton be the supporting character and rather contrasting Hampton's own personal struggle with how he with the perception of him versus who he was as an actual person and kind of contrasting that with O'Neill who finds himself between a rock and a hard place but kind of just rolls with it for a while because for a while it really is just benefiting him because he's like yeah I've got nothing to lose I don't give a shit about any of the what these people are saying and to have those two totally separate didactic storylines but yet still have that be this really interesting kind of push-pull yin-yang thing I think it kind of redefines the protagonist-antagonist struggle that we've kind of come to know so well and also it kind of revamps the whole Joseph Campbell's heroes arc um what's it called that we've kind of come to know and love because again we we, we know the anti-hero term that term has kind of been done to death now but O'Neill I wouldn't even classify him as an anti-hero because he's not doing anything for like uh, he's not doing shitty things for a righteous cause he's doing shitty things that he's not even really aware of that are shitty just to benefit himself in the moment and by the time he actually realizes the repercussions of his actions it's almost too late like walk me through that like can you think of any movie in recent memory that like like forget just like the, the political side of this like just from a character standpoint can you think of any movie in recent memory that has portrayed a struggle like that no, and, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth on the character of Bill O'Neill because a part of me wants to really just say it was a rock-solid performance and it wasn't flawless, but I do think that there was something missing in his writing, if I'm going to be completely honest, in regards to I didn't feel his confliction enough when he sold them out at the end, you know, when he was on the roof holding it down and he runs and he escapes because I think he was the whole time so fixated on himself and always asking his FBI agent, hey, when am I out? How much am I going to get paid? You know, I just don't think they did a good enough job and I know they have the party scenes and whatnot and them hanging out and like getting to know each other, the Panthers and their um, headquarters. But I just don't think that they did a good enough job sort of showing if he was conflicted, that he was conflicted and that he was turning on people that he actually came to grow and love and, and consider comrades. He said the word a lot, but did he actually mean it? I don't know if he actually meant it. You know, I always thought he was just a lowly car thief who kind of got in bad with the FBI as an informant. And it's one of those things where you've seen it many times. There's so many different docu series and, and biopics about the informant who they don't let you out until, until they let you out. And it might not be when they initially say. And so it always felt like he was more self-centered than I wanted him to feel as opposed to, you know, like more self-centered than I, than I had would have hoped with how much time and how much he w went through with the Panthers. So I, that that's where I keep going back and forth on it. Cause then a part of me says, well, no, I, I think that he was always in a rough place and, and that maybe that was just his way of showing it, you know, and it's tough. It's, it's hard for me to unpack this one. I never have this issue on our podcast ever, but I do in this one point in time. <laughs> so the only thing that I have to add to that, because I can understand where you're coming from, only because, again, the, the O'Neill character is not, 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 not rela relatable is the wrong word to use. He's not a, a, t a typical, obviously, lead, for lack of a better word. I, I can't think of the, of the word that I'm thinking of. But to me, I'm kind of with you as far as that goes in that. Again, to me, like, Lakeith is acting his ass off, and Lakeith has been incredible in everything that he's been on. I just, I love the career track that he's had for these last couple of years. Um, again, just recently in Uncut Gems, his turn on Atlanta, his breakout in Short Term 12 and Straight Outta Compton, and his bit part that he had in Dope. He's just that guy that, like, he's always, he's always really easy to cast in as, as kind of, like, the, the supporting part. He's such an easy choice for a supporting part, but the fact that he's getting these really juicy and interesting lead parts, like, I think Sorry to Bother You, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of how that movie turned out, I think him in that movie and I think certain storytelling directions that that movie goes in is just ludicrous and just unlike anything I've ever seen in cinema before and I think the thing that gets me with that character and kind of Lakeith's portrayal is I think it comes all the way down to the ending where I think the movie does a really interesting thing in how it utilizes the the, the, the Bill O'Neill character within the docuseries that you see him in at the end where it shows I think in some capacity and again it's so subliminal because it's all internal like you get like None of this stuff, like, you get no scenes in which characters are telling you how they feel or, or, or like, 
or, or, or like how they, um, you know, you know, like basically like expositoring you like the feelings and the plot, you know, like it is all so enjoyable. And even with how showy Kaluuya gets in as Hampton, like when he's doing those speeches, like it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. all internal and it's all in the eyes. And I think Lakeith has some brilliant moments where he does some, you know, again, like it, it's funny because it's the idea of we've seen that kind of part before, like the rat and kind of really getting into the mindset of the rat. I think the Sopranos did this brilliantly, not once, but twice with both the big pussy and Adriana characters in that show. And I think that kind of Lakeith's performance uh, and the character that he was playing kind of harkened back to that. But I think obviously the difference being and why I find his struggle in this movie so fascinating is it kind of starts off and he's kind of like he's in the zone, like he's finally making money. He's in a good place. You know, he doesn't really care about anything that really that, that the Panthers are doing, you know, he's he apparently is a really freaking good actor because of, you know, the character, obviously, yeah. because again, he's he does a, a really good job of like, he definitely <laughs> does. And, and, and like, he's got kind of got like a good go around. Like there are certain scenes and particular moments that he has where I'm like, oh, a lesser person would have like freaked out and not would have known what to do. But he like knows exactly what to do as far as that goes. And so I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, wait, was this guy smarter than a real? I mean, obviously he lets you know right off the bat that he's smarter than the average guy because rather than just jacking cars, he literally goes in and pretends to be a cop. Right. And that's how he jacks people. Like, so the idea is that and this is something that the, that the director, Shaka King, talked about, is that the idea is that he kind of was a very, very um, ambitious personality. And again, if just if not for the circumstances, he would have been like a Wall Street banker, you know? But because of, obviously, the circumstances and the time and place and mm-hmm. obviously a skin color that he was born with, he was stuck jacking cars in uh, Chicago. And if not for this, like, who knows what would have had. But the thing to me that really solidifies him is the ending. And specifically, once we found out what happened with the character and specifically some of his moments, like the moment when he has the encounter with Lil Rel Howery, who's revealed to be like another undercover FBI guy, like when he hands him his own fake badge that he used, like that was like, I'm like, whoa, I, I got to stop for a second here. Like what? And this is the first, this should tell you something. This is the first streaming movie, I think in a while where I did not pause this movie once. I didn't pause this movie once. No bathroom breaks, nothing. This is the yeah, first sucked me streaming too, movie that I've sure. seen where I did that. I have even Mank and even Soul. I, I paused those movies hmm. once. I did not pause this movie once, not once. And yeah. so to me, that moment, and specifically the moment in the end where it shows how he killed it, where it tells you that he killed himself after the documentary was aired and he saw his reaction, that tells me that, yeah. He may not have believed in anything that the Black Panther stood for, and he ultimately, at the end of the day, was out for himself, and he was, and that's kind of the only reason why he was starting to feel like remotely because he was really starting to feel the pressure in that last scene, specifically with Hampton. But it definitely tells you that Hampton got to him. Even if he didn't believe in what Hampton and the Black Panther stood for, Hampton, just because of the personality that he had and because of what a good orator he was, and I'm going to get to him when I talk about him, he got to him in some way. And it, and it showed, I definitely think. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I'm going to actually turn to something Lost in the Real said here. Because, um, obviously, they confirm at the end with the documentary and with the typical biopic text that he did end his life the day that the documentary actually aired. And so to me, that says he was, he felt guilty. He was remorseful. You know, he regretted having to turn his back on his comrades. I think he actually did genuinely the person feel that those were his comrades, but I kind of don't want to say it because of how much I love this film. And I don't think admitting this is going to take away any from how, how much I do do actually love this film. But if I'm being honest, I, I agree with this sentiment here and saying that it might have been the script a little bit, you know, maybe Bill wasn't as fleshed out as Fred. And, and that just might be the case, because I think the Bill in real life, having obviously taken his own life the day the documentary airs, I mean, that speaks volumes. So and it's not that it was a terrible performance. It's just that I think it was a little too one sided on the selfish aspects of it and less on the brotherhood that he I think actually felt in real life and the actual conundrum he was in where, okay, he was put in this situation as an informant to get himself out of not going to jail. First of all, I think they said he had a year and a half and then another five years for two separate charges. But he, he, in real life, he clearly became comrades with them, actual comrades, meaning and believing and breathing the word. Whereas in the film, it just kind of felt like he was just looking out for himself a little more than he was his brothers in arms. So I I will, I think, I guess I'll say on the record, I think that is a slight little misstep by the script, unless they didn't want to convey that point though. You never know. You never know the intent. I think with, 
I think with me and why I kind of don't necessarily have the same problem that you do is because to me, I think that factors into his arc. And the fact is that just how his arc goes, he's in such a place where he enjoys it. Again, he, he gets to play the revolutionary on one point while in the meantime, he's banking money off of it, you know? And so as far as he goes, there's no- Was he though? Because you know, I feel there. like they were always like, you know, leading him on with the paycheck. And then all they offered him at the end was a gas station and like two $2.50 to get- Well, no, he was making get- money. He was, he, was, he was getting paid throughout. Like, even, like they may not have, they, 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 they showed him the one scene of the diner where he threw the money down on the table and he got that and again like he was he was wearing swanky clothes and he was driving the car obviously and yeah yeah he, he was he was making money he was he was he was banking off of that you know like he even said it like he was collecting it like and and he was informing on them for years on end and after all and like he he was starting to make money off of that pretty quick so he was he was benefiting from it definitely so okay that's kind of all that i have to say as far as that sure. now let's move to again the superstar of the movie again. I loved Lakeith, and I and I definitely think yeah. Lakeith, let me just but say, like, it was is... still a great performance. I just think what I got at the end from the actual biopic aspects of it didn't kind of line up with the character I had met throughout the course of the film. But I think he was awesome in the film. I just think the actual person wasn't f- fully portrayed by Lakeith's writing. Not him. He was awesome as an okay. actor. His performance was yeah. great. So yeah. Now Kaluuya. Oh man. Where do I even begin here? Like, Kaluuya? So here's the thing. The word revelation is not the word that I would use to just would have used to describe Kaluuya before this performance. But I think the reason why this speaks to me more than any of his previous is because every one of his previous performances, I'm almost getting like an Uncut Gems vibe from him in that the biggest thing that the Safdie brothers talked about with Uncut Gems in the press tour leading up to it is how they incorporated a piece of every one of their previous movies into this. And Kaluuya... Going all the way back to, again, I saw him in like a couple bit parts before the Black Mirror episode that he was in, in the first season of Black Mirror. I think he was in Kick-Ass 2 and Sicario were the two things, but again, that was before I even knew who he was. And then the biggest things for me were seeing the Black Mirror episode with him in it, um, the 15 Million Merits episode, which is great. That's one of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror. And then watching him and seeing him as, it really sucks because he didn't have a, he didn't have a titular episode, but he was kind of part of the gang uh, portraying Posh Kenneth in the first two seasons of Skins, which was really cool right. because, again, the, the first two seasons of Skins turned out like superstar episode. Like, that's the one that gave us Nicholas Holt and, and Gendry and... and um, Oh my God! What's her Gilly name? Gilly from um, Game of Thrones. Gilly! Oh my God! I kept wanting to say Lily. I'm like, it's not Lily. Yeah, Gendry and Gilly from Game of Thrones, and Dev Patel, and like so many different people that came out of yeah. the, those first two seasons that would later come out. And but yeah, Daniel Kaluuya is another superstar that came from them. And then he was making his rounds. You know, like I said, he had the supporting part in Sicario. Uh, obviously, Get Out, which was tremendous for all the people around, but that was more of a success story for Jordan Peele. I would say the Daniel Kaluuya again. The most shocking thing that came out is Daniel Kaluuya getting the Best Actor nomination, which he's yeah, good they all in that share movie, it, but, but yeah, I Jordan Peele for sure. Yeah, but that, that was Jordan Peele's success story to say the least. And then Widows, which. I think it's a movie that I just, I'm really confused at because everyone seems to like that movie and I hated that movie. I thought that movie was just utterly confused with what it was trying to say. But Daniel Kaluuya, even though his character has ultimately done dirty in that movie, has a really interesting term where you that's where he finally gets to play menacing. And oh man, he plays menacing in a way that I'm like, yeah, I want to kind of see Kaluuya do more villainous parts. And there was one other thing that I saw him in recently that really made me take attention, pay attention overall oh that's right last year with queen and slim and how he was again that that movie i think was criminally uh overlooked last year and i think that he was absolutely brilliant in that movie also but this performance as hampton and what he brings in this movie is everything to me that i'm like okay this before we had the actor this is a motherfucking star yeah you know like that like that we, we have talked and the idea of the movie star in hollywood has kind of been like has obviously drastically changed just because of the marvel of it all and the streaming and the franchising and the IPing of it all. And it's so rare that we have so few movie stars. I think John David Washington is one of them who's managed to survive. But Daniel Kaluuya, man, holy fuck. Like, just, obviously, again, it, it, what's one of the easiest ways to win an Oscar? Give a big, loud speech and give a very showy, boisterous performance. And he does that in this movie, which, again, I think is why he's being singled out amongst everyone else in this movie. But, like, just the fact that, like, like, and it's so easy to classify this as, like, oh, he's the juicier part, so obviously he's going to be the one to get the Oscar. But, like, he has got so much dimension 
and so much humanity. And it's funny because at certain points, I'm starting to wonder, I'm like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a departed ass where we're supposed to be focused on O'Neal. But why are we spending all this time with Hampton? And that's what I thought for the first half. But by the time we got to the second half, and I realized, oh no, we needed that because we needed to see and understand Fred's internal struggle. And we needed to see him more as an internal figure rather than kind of just being the prescient, for lack of a better word, antagonist that uh, ultimately O'Neal's uh, character has to overcome at the end. And you see his struggles and you see his relationship that develops with uh, the Dominique Fishback character, who I will pull up the movie so that way I can actually remember her name because she ends up obviously portraying a, a pretty sizable part. And... Um, yeah, we, we needed to see that, and we needed to see his internal struggle and kind of his perception with his celebrity and how other people perceived him and what the movement was actually accomplishing versus what they were being perceived as and all that. It was all so well done, and the fact that we get two drastically different performances that both kind of accomplish a very similar thing, it is just unbelievable as, as far as that goes. Like, I've, like I've gushed enough. Like, Chris, like... What, what, what were your thoughts specifically on Kaluuya's performance as Fred Hampton? Yeah, this is like... I'll really drive home my opening statement here in regards to the human aspect where it's like, you're right. I mean, he did have those speeches where he was like, you know, waving his fists in the air and getting everyone all riled up. And, and of course, like, you know, that's a part of, I guess what you said, that whole Oscar winning performance. Uh, you need to check that box. I suppose I'm still new to the whole ranking and rating art thing. I, I can't say I'm fully behind it, but I'm learning. And I guess that is a part of it, but the human aspect of this character, man, like he wasn't just boisterous and aggressive and, you know, in your face, he was, you know, very like tender, I would even say, and, and warm and loving to the people around him and, and so passionate. He literally said multiple times throughout the movie, if you know, something to the tune of, if you don't think that I gave my life for the people and for the community, then you're wrong. Like he is the epitome of what I wish every politician would embody, that sort of dedication to the cause and that dedication to the public, that servitude that he felt was just so selfless and so, I don't know, like he's just a character that... It's, it's, it's insane to think that a real human like this existed so selflessly. And so it's like, you know, when I say a character, it's almost because it's like unbelievable and I haven't looked too much into it, but I do believe that this movie was a very accurate portrayal. And it just seems again, like, thank God for this film, not embellishing anything because if they would have done the Hollywoodification to this movie, it would have taken away from the already powerful untold truths of this story, you know? And, and that's where my frustrations lie with a lot of these types of films. And this character is a perfect example of, I think everything that I've just been trying to say about what's been going on in these kind of films, because let the character speak for himself. Like he's a powerful figure and, I think it showed, man. And of course, Kaluuya is just, I mean, I've seen him in a few things and this is by far the best I've seen he's him a, in. He's a phenomenon. And, he is a phenomenon. And you know, this. it's insane because I've liked him in pretty much everything else I've seen him in too. So it's like, not even that, this is like my first time where I really see this guy's chops. I mean, he just, you know, look, he's been doing it for a while now and, and I think he's hitting an amazing stride. Clearly this performance was, you know, I, you almost want more of it because of how good he was. But I think that the illness makes it better that this movie knows not to oversaturate it with him. Like the writing, the directing, the pacing, it's all just so good and it, it compliments him. But really I think that without him, I, there's a lot of great actors who could have probably done the role, but this was a role I think he was born to play. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. right? Yeah. This was his this was his Malcolm X moment. This was his Denzel and Malcolm X mm -hmm. moment to say the least. And just as far as the character the, the, the you know the person Hampton, it's it's a character it's so refreshing where we are so conditioned with the Hollywood bullshit rhetoric and the politician bullshit <laughs> rhetoric of yes, we're just going to hide behind speeches that say all these great things and then you don't actually mean a mm -hmm. word of it. And it was beyond refreshing to see somebody who went out of their way to mean everything they said in their speeches and then some. Because I think to me, I think this is a scene that's not going to be talked about a lot with kind of the, when, you know, when people are talking about this, like on the rewatchables, for instance, and they talk about going back and rewatchable scenes. I hope this scene is talked about because I think this is one of the most important scenes of the movie. It's a very important and different type of a scene because, again, just I, I think it's this was the scene that was like speaking directly to the culture moment because, again, you're expecting it to so go in one direction and it goes completely in the different, which is the scene where he's talking with the, um, what, what, what was that organization in the beginning? The, um, the, what's it called? 
the with, with the with the Confederate flag at the beginning. I don't remember the name of it, but like yeah, all the, the poor remember. white, the poor yeah, white I don't people. Remember. I don't remember the name of it and how he basically goes out of his way to show, yeah, we're 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 in the same economic class here. What you think that the cops are gonna treat you like differently than us? Like, come on. Right. And it was it was in that moment, and when when he uses that to form the Rainbow Coalition, which again, I'd like. Were you aware of that? Um, no. There actually is something similar going on today, which is it made me instantly think of of this. And yeah, I mean, that was just a very powerful moment, you know, because they yeah. they had all walks of life who have been marginalized and put down by society and not given a proper chance, put their differences aside and come together. And to think like of all the great politicians we have had throughout our history. And of course, from that era too, you know, where was the guy who could do that? It was Fred Hampton. Why wasn't it the politicians? It makes you ask the questions as to like, why? And that's what a good film does, especially about this type of topic. Well, 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 the answer to that is because the real politicians are the guys who are arranging for guys like that to be taken down because they're giving them a bad name. Of course, unfortunately. That's the truth. And the, the, the crazy thing about that is that that, I think, is the first moment in all these movies. I've got a list of kind of the, the for lack of a better word, the um the really the, the the what's it called? The empowerment movies that have come out in the last couple of years. Oh, I love every single one of the movies that is on this list, but this is I think the first movie that has said something that none of these other movies have. Or if they have, they've kind of alluded to it without directly saying it, but this was the first movie that I think I have ever seen where they finally said racism, in addition to ignorance, is an at least systemic racism is an issue of economics. This was the first movie that I saw actually say that, which is 100% true. And I just for my personal satisfaction, I was beyond happy with that because I think that again, it just it shows it shows a filmmaker who is not trying to make another Hollywood embellishment piece. He's trying to actually make a good and entertaining, well thought out and engaging story that seeks to help you understand something that you may not have understood before. Yeah, you know, I will say that this this movie didn't do what I think other films of its ilk do, where which is appease the investors or the people putting the money behind them. It didn't kind of um, echo the political views. I thought the exact precise way that everyone thinks that they want you to think, that sort of Hollywood culture that we all know to be true, where it's one opinion or no opinion, it, it felt like true expressionism, and we have that in our country, right? And this is... This to me, this said things that I thought were really daring too to say in regards to that. Um, again, I think that speaks to the power of the film, uh, the fearlessness of the filmmakers. I think fearlessness is a word that should be thrown into the conversation around this film because while it does sort of obviously, I'd say, play to some of the Hollywood political beliefs, I, I think it also kind of says, hey, like we're also not going to buy fully into that. We're going to do our own research. We're going to tell you the actual history, not the Hollywoodification revisionist history that you guys always give us. And goddamn, did they, if they if you're going to go out on a limb and do that, goddamn, did they do it in a way that's like too hard yeah, to they, deny? They you know, fucking pulled it off. And <laughs> the other personally. side of that coin too. The other side of that coin too, which just fucking like blew my socks off was the FBI edition of it. Because mm-hmm. again, like the FBI is kind of the third underlying and obviously again, they are the true antagonist but again, with how brilliantly this film is set up, they more so are, for lack of a better word, the shadow masters rather than be the direct antagonist. Like I can see the version of this movie in my head where Hampton is the main character and it's all about, again, it's the it's the traditionalist Hollywood movie where Hampton's got to overcome struggle in order to become who he is and then he's got to go directly up against the big bad evil J. Edgar and I'm so beyond happy they didn't go yeah. with that approach and I think how they factor that in so much better because rather than making J. Edgar Hoover the villain, J. Edgar Hoover's presence kind of looms over this movie and obviously we see in a few brilliantly acted scenes by Martin Sheen I think the idea to cast him like one of the most like kind of warm and kind of very um uh, fatherly feeling actors as one of the most in my opinion evil human beings in history I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is just beyond brilliantly brilliant casting as far as that goes but but the Jesse Plemons character, the Agent Mitchell, yeah. like, to me, the re- and the, the reason why that character is not only important but also interesting, as far as I don't think we've ever seen that before, is because this isn't a situation where, where like, like with, with the with the parents in Get Out, where even though they don't view themselves as racist, they're committing obviously these blatant atrocities. Like the way 
that Plemons, and this to me is, again, this is this is getting down to the root cause of, of racism and how, like, to me, the difference between straight-up intolerance versus ignorance, and there is a big difference there because the way that Plemons is discussing kind of his views on the Black Panthers and kind of how he views them as kind of the, the KKK, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm like... I, I, I was literally, first of all, I was literally just hearing this conversation for people like around the corner, but also just like, I, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, like he legitimately, he doesn't understand like the part that he's playing and, and, and the problem that he perceives. And that is just, again, there's like movies, Hollywood movies just don't do that. Like in the traditional Hollywood movie, he is the straight up mustache twirling, blatantly racist villain. And the fact mm -hmm. that they flesh that out it's it's so brilliant because they're walking this fine line of again they can't hedge too far because otherwise they'll be accused of embellishing uh embellishing and trying to like be too sympathetic towards obviously you know racist whites but also on the other hand just kind of exploring no there's more to it it's not a straight cut and cut and dry black and white issue and um what's it called and that there is more that goes into this and that was just be be besides fascinating and how that factors into that character's whole arc because that to me was like the third piece of the puzzle, in addition to O'Neill and Hampton, and just how that results in the scene where he's sitting down with director Hoover and how that whole encounter goes, and then how it ends up building into when Hoover finally gives the order, the, effectively the execution order to kill yeah. Hampton. It's like, I'm, I'm at a and loss for words after I watch it. I'm like, shit. You know, I thought it was like really just, again, honest is why I keep coming back to that word in this review, and human is because like he wasn't perfect, clearly. I mean, the way he, that comparison shows he wasn't perfect, but I mean, I, I genuinely think that he had Bill's best intentions in mind. And I genuinely think that when he promised him that he would get him out as soon as he had completed his job, getting them Intel, he, he would, of course, his superiors, as we learned, didn't let him do that. But I mean, not that he was good to Bill. I mean, he did offer Bill a plea bargain and he did use Bill to get information, but I mean, he could have treated him way worse. And also he has that scene where he's on the couch and he's like, look, like I I'm not, I'm personally not racist. You know, I, I know a lot of people are in my position. I, I, I just want to do what's right, but I also have to toe the company line. And I thought they made him while he was still crooked. And I think he was still on the wrong side of history. They at least allowed you to get something different that most Hollywood films don't in this regard was a sense of, oh man, so this is a actually really complicated story and they allowed that to happen in like a Hollywood film, which I thought was so bold. And again, like not saying, I think everyone in the FBI in this film was clearly on the wrong side of history, but the fact that you could at least see that there was a relationship between Bill and him and that it wasn't just all, um, you know, using him for this and that, and that he actually was sympathetic towards some of the struggles uh, that the Black Panthers were trying to, you know, quell in those communities by giving them like, you know, food and, you know, all the different efforts the Black Panthers did for the community. It's like, I've never been conflicted about these types of characters in a Hollywood film before, and I wonder why. Is it because they romanticize everything? I don't know, but I know that this is the first time I felt something different around these types of films that we've been getting a lot more of lately. And so it's another thing I tout this film for, is like being bold and taking the chance on that and not really sort of just curtailing something for the sake of having to fit a mold. And that's, that's why I think this film is yeah. just so profound in what it did, you know? That's why it's hard to find like something... Yeah bad about it because it's i mean we've never had a conversation this deep on the podcast before and i think there's a reason for that so yeah definitely well i mean we have to just considering the what this movie's about so the the last point that i really wanted to bring up before we got out of here was the idea of the biopic and, and and kind of what the biopic has served within hollywood history because i feel like also a lot of the problems that we have towards kind of like hollywood's romanticization of history comes from just how they've treated biopics recently in the past and how this film is kind of a, the, the latest in a train of movies that have been seeking to kind of subvert that. So, typically a biopic results around a famous person. Obviously, again, usually celebrities, political figures, singers have kind of been like the big thing. Um, what's it called recently. And it always, again, every single one of them, it's the exact same formula. They start off, they usually have a bit of tragedy in the beginning. It shows how they're building towards tragedy and uh, the, towards that tragedy and how it defines them in order to ultimately get into the famous spotlight. And then once they're in the fame, how they're battling with the results of fame and then eventually how it gets. It's the same thing every single time. And ultimately, kind of where the embellishment factor comes in, I would say, is the idea of most of the movies just feel like a greatest hits album of the biggest moments of their life. And the movies ultimately end up feeling more like montages than 
actual movies. You know, I can certainly speak to a couple of sure. that I've seen. Uh, I know, I know for a fact you Especially, can, yeah. but one of the more interesting things that I've been seeing, and this is goes back further than last year, because again, it's been tricky, obviously is the idea of the biopics that for lack of a better word, don't do that and actually seek to like get to the root of what the person is about. Like to me, Amadeus is one of my absolute favorite biopics because rather than that, just being a cut and dry portrayal of Mozart's life and instead picks um, and models. And first of all, Mozart is not the main character of that movie. The, the, the Antonin Salieri character is, and again, kind of similar to this movie, how it kind of chooses to structure and mold it and really how it's Salieri's. It's all about Salieri's um, kind of jealousy towards Mozart and kind of his way of living and, and just, you know, just, how raw talented he is and just how that ends up spiraling and just recently with the movie that you brought up um what's it called love and mercy with the brian wilson story and how that chooses to rather than again just being a cotton dry beach boy movie beach boys movie focuses specifically on kind of like you know the back and forth of like you know where he was versus where he ends up being with his struggles with mental health and everything and i've noticed that the best biopics are usually fall more so into that camp and to me this movie reflects with another movie that we saw last year that was also on Netflix, that being not Trial of the Chicago 7, that being Mank, which to me, the biggest thing about Mank that I really enjoyed is how for a movie that seemed very similar to this one, like it had all the beatings and traps of not only an Oscar bait movie, but a traditionalist biopic, how it went out of its way to subvert that, where rather than the whole movie being a behind-the-scenes thing on the set of Citizen Kane as they're making it, it rather is kind of this think piece and kind of entryway into the voyeurs and the hypocrisy of Hollywood, all from a writer's standpoint, and how said writer is struggling to overcome his own demons and hypocrisies, and while trying to, um, what's it called? Uh, what's it called? Fight past the bullshit of the day, while at the same that that ultimately ends up resulting in arguably one of the greatest cinematic creations of all time. That's a really specific example, but that to me is the idea of a biopic done right. And this is another example of that, where rather than just just this being a greatest hits album of Fred Hampton's life, for lack of a better word, um, again, it's it's ultimately it's departed inside of Cointel Pro, mm. and to me. That is what makes a good biopic is when you can take a biopic and have it say, okay, yes, this is about this person, but it's also this, you know, what, what, what are your kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I haven't seen the, um, the Mozart film, but I definitely want to watch that now. Um, and of course with love and, Oh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think Love and Mercy is a good one to throw into the hat. And I think this one's special too, like, like I'm sure the Mozart one is, and I know Love and Mercy is because I think like. There are great biopics where you're in the character's shoes. I mean, look at Ray. That's a great film. I love that film. But I think this one's special because you kind of, it's, you get to know Fred Hampton by looking through the eyes of Bill. And that's, that's cool to me because you get to see him, not how he sees himself, but as how other people see him. And I think for someone this selfless and for someone who gave as much to the community and literally was the ultimate public servant, like he literally was in this film, I think that's like such a solid and incredible filmmaking decision. And I think that's another reason why Kaluuya's character is so powerful because the moments you get with him are always through the eyes of Bill looking on in the audience, watching him or his wife looking on in the audience, watching him. I think it's, there's a power to that. And there's like a real amazing decision creatively that was made there where I think it would have still worked. I think the actors still would have clicked if they had done it the more traditionalistic route. But something about the way they did this film was like lightning in a bottle to come to that conclusion. So yeah, I mean, clearly this is like in a league of its own. It's in that elite tier. If, if we want to go there of, of, you know, biopics. And I think that's one of the many reasons we could probably talk about this film for like another three hours, but yeah, I totally agree with what you were just saying, man. Yeah, just a couple more that I would definitely throw your way as far as kind of like uh, anti-traditionalist, kind of more so out-of-the-box biopics. Obviously, again, we've talked to death about Social Network and what that movie accomplishes, but a couple other ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Elephant Man is a really good one. Um, Judy, I, I really, like that really one. enjoyed yeah, it. I, watched that. I, I don't think I don't think I don't think the movie's no, great, not. but I think as far as kind of being different from the I like how they show biopic, that one I, aspect I of her life. Like we know who she was when she was on top of her game and when she was more healthy. But exactly. it's interesting, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, those and also DiCaprio being the king of biopics. Um, uh, what's it called Wolf of Wall Street and Aviator just being two of many. But to me, probably my favorite one that he's been in is uh, Catch Me If You Can. Okay, easily. I love that. I haven't Have you seen, seen any that? of those, so definitely would. Maybe would, we'll do a first time watch. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. You uh, haven't yeah. seen Wolf of Wall. I keep forgetting. You haven't seen you, Wolf of Wall Street. That's going on the list. We have to do that, a first time watch because I got to tell the story of why I haven't seen it in the beginning. Yeah, you do. You Because you, you told me that, but we have <laughs> yeah, to save that for exactly. like the right point to drop that on the podcast. But yeah, so with that being said, the only thing that I'll say in order to wrap this episode up is the most compelling part, and I think kind of the end-all, be-all wrap-up that we can give before we give our star ratings, is that as heavy as this movie gets... Again, this is kind of a trick that we've been discussing with like more recent kind of based on real life, I'll call them movies, which is that again, towing the line between, okay, how do you make still make a compelling, engaging movie while also, and not just have it make, be a documentary while at the same time still being informative as to the real events without embellishing on them. And that seems to be a thing that, again, a lot of movies have just not been able to do recently as far as being able to tow that line. They're either in one thing or in one direction mm -hmm. or another, but this movie gets it. This movie solves the biopic problem of still being a compelling movie over a documentary that also seeks to inform me and also just engage and just make me understand so much of what I didn't about just not only this specific time period and these characters, but just kind of to help me inform more about the world and the setting that we're in today. And that's not something that I can say. Again, it's, it, I can't really speak to 2021 as a year just because there's I, I've only seen six movies, which again, is still I feel like a lot more than just what people are just actively aware of right now. I think the majority of what most people have seen right now is like the little things, which... Oh, God. Um, but uh, Jared Leto is going to get a fucking Oscar nomination for that. Oh, my God. And... Um, yeah, so that that's really all that I have to say about it. Yeah. This is, I don't think it's my favorite movie of the year yet, but it's definitely objectively the best movie of the year. So with that, it, it's a four and a half, no question. For sure, man, totally. Um, I, I don't for for lack of you know, risk of rather diluting anything I said, I just got three things to say. It's bold, it's human, and it's honest. And we need more of these types of films. Uh, this is a great movie. I really enjoyed. I was, I was blindsided by how much I enjoyed this film. It was really just a great, yep. great experience. So I'm going to go right there with you. Four, four and a half out of five, man. It's one more. Can you say yes? Great film. Yes, sir. So like I, I, I went into this anticipating a homework assignment for lack of a better word Same, for the yeah. podcast. And I ended up just getting again, one of the, like this was the, there, there's no way in hell. This is not making our top 10 best of the year, yeah, respectively. Like this sure. is definitely up there already. Obviously we'll have a few more. Probably most of them are going to be from HBO max. Netflix might sneak in one or two. I still very much hope that the Paul Thomas Anderson movie not only comes out this year, but also lands, but yeah, no, this is already without a shadow of a doubt. We've got one people. We've got at least one for the end of the year list already. So uh, with that mm -hmm. being said, thank you guys once again for tuning in to another fantastic episode of the Talking TV podcast. I was a little bit more energetic, I think, than usual, but I think it was justified, obviously, for this movie. Um, let's go. We've, we've got some more content. Again, Chris, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you for what we've got coming up on Wednesday because uh, this is definitely the ball is going to be in your court for these next couple sure, of weeks. Yeah, so this Wednesday we are chatting with Zaid Ek of Kim's Convenience fame. He's an actor, a Canadian actor. He's around my age, and he's doing a lot of really cool stuff, man. This dude has so many different hustles and, and, and so so many different creative things that aren't just from Kim's, but Kim's Convenience, of course, being his big thing. So we're going to be interviewing him live right here on the channel, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He told us he's got as long as we need. So we'll see where it takes us. I want to really deep dive into the mind of someone who's kind of like on our side of things, you know, around our age, who's really achieving success in the industry. So it's, if you guys want to ask him questions, of course, chime in in the Q&A. If you haven't seen Kim's Convenience, be a hipster, get on it now. It's catching steam. People are starting to talk about it a little more than they were. Yes, they are. So, Dude, I'm telling you, I, I it's, fu it's funny, Chris, because I literally said this to my parents inside because I, I was, wow, I'm like, damn, you know, it's bad. I'm two episodes into the show and I'm already trying to pitch everybody that I know on it. But <laughs> yes, um, and so it begins. But I said, I'm like, Yes, well, because trust me, obviously, again, it was already getting a little bit of notice when you pointed out that what's what's the guy with the actor who plays Appa? Uh, I'm sorry, I'll yeah. get it eventually. Paul Sunny Lee. Paul Sunny Lee. When he when I when he was in the Mandalorian, and I thought it was Keon Young, and you said no, that's Appa from Kimmy's TV. I'm like, wait, what? And then I saw that, and then you told me that Simu Liu was going to be Shang Chi. I'm like, wow, Kevin Kevin Feige really does love these yeah. sitcoms. And fucking, I'm telling you right now, I am telling you right now that. Shang-Chi is going to do for this show what Guardians of the Galaxy did for Parks and Rec. Now, granted, Parks and Rec was already a big enough show mm -hmm. at the time, but I'm telling you, it blew up into the stratosphere once Guardians of the Galaxy was the phenomenon that it was, and, and Chris Pratt obviously became the superstar that he is. Yeah, so, I'd love to see that yeah, happen, man. I'm, 
I'm very much looking forward to it. I very much hope that Kim's Convenience gets the respect and, and uh, uh, frankly, again, just like shocking amount of praise and awards that Shit's Creek got. Again, the, the Pop TV CBC is finally getting some uh, some good stuff, and I I, I hope that I, I I've got some I've got some hope for for this network as far as again if this is the type of content that they're churning out I'm I'm definitely in favor of it so I'm very much looking forward to this interview I think I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun this Friday obviously we've got the next recap of WandaVision three episodes left of the show overall and then we've got one more week of February and then oh man we've got a big March again all this stuff you can find if you just click that subscribe button below us and click the bell next to us so you can get notified every time we put up new content. We've got new content every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, most of the time at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you click the like button on this video and leave us a comment. That way you guys can let us know your thoughts and also just let us know, you know, what are some other future content ideas for us, you know? Like I said, we have you guys for a reason. You are our community. You guys are the reason for why we make this stuff. And there's only, look, we're great at coming up with ideas, but we get tired. We've got stuff that we do. You know, I've got a job. Chris has school. We've got a lot of stuff going on in order to make this work. So it'd be nice if you guys could chip in and give us some new ideas for some different types of videos and different just different content and types of content in general where we've got a lot of stuff We've got planned for you guys for the rest of the year, but you know, it'd be nice if you guys can, uh, what's it called, chip in every once in a while. I, I called out the chat last time, and I'm calling them out again, and I'm going to continue to call them out until we actually finally get some suggestions. But well, we overall. also just want to make uh, this more of an enjoyable our- viewing experience for you guys, so let us know what yes. you want. But, uh, Absolutely. You, you, I was about to say, you have you, you guys finally have the voices that you always so desperately wanted to shout at your creators and tell them exactly what it is that you want. So do it! Tell us! We live we to serve. We want to give you people what it is. Well, you, we, we live to serve to your heart's desire. Follow us, of course, on our socials, uh, Instagram and Facebook, at TV or at TV Podcast in order to keep up with the latest updates from our channel. Chris... Of course, where can the good people yeah, find thanks, you? thanks, man. You can find me at Christian Ivanko, anywhere that matters. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I have music coming this year. It's It's been quite a while, but I've been working on... Uh, better. I'm waiting for it. I've, I've been hearing those samples. I better hear an actual song sometime yeah, man, soon. We're, we're getting close. You know, we're, uh, the revisions can only go so much further for some of these songs, and I, I thankfully keep spitting out new ideas. So I'm working on an album, and I can't say exactly when that's coming, but when it's all done, I will be releasing a bunch of different behind-the-scenes, how I made the songs, getting you guys into the mind of the process of how I create. So, yeah, at Christian Devanko, I'm going to be doing a lot at some point this year, hopefully sooner than later, but... When it happens, I think it's uh, it's going to be a special project, and I can't wait to share that with you guys. So, yeah, thanks, Tom. Yes, most definitely. And you can always find me on Movie Nerd Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. Not that I post it that often, but again, it's just a cool title. It's been my title for the last couple of years, and I've literally taken it so that I'm even using it as a passcode. I am the Movie Nerd overall at Movie Nerd Reviews. 12 seasons in a short film. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. And as always, watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time.